You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. This is Hour 1, and I did miss you, I have to say. Happy New Year, since we haven't had a chance to say that yet. I know it's getting a little late. Do you go through that at the store, at the gas station, now that we're a weekend? Do you still say Happy New Year? I'm still saying it. Happy 2024. It's going to start coming together now. As Congress returns to town, and that's why we're spinning a couple of plates today. You've been hearing on Bloomberg about a deal on top-line spending levels that might help to avoid a government shutdown, they say. Aren't those the same levels we agreed to back in June? We'll get to that, along with talk of a border deal potentially by the end of this week. And I know you've heard me say that before. But it's one week from Iowa, and that's where I want to start the conversation with Will Hurd, of course, former Republican presidential candidate. He's now behind Nikki Haley in the campaign, longtime uh, Texas congressman, former CIA officer, and can touch all of the stories that we're talking about here from the campaign to the border to shut down politics. Congressman, it's good to see you. Uh, Welcome back. Voters actually are going to start having a say a week from today. We're going to have more than just polls to talk about. And I wonder if it's a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump wins the Iowa caucuses. It's not a foregone conclusion. And Joe, I'm going to start with Happy New Year. I'm still saying it. Um, I appreciate and, that. And, and look, here's what we're going to see. You're, you're seeing a, a number of town halls that are being done by Fox News this week. Uh, Donald Trump is actually uh, finally participating in one. Um, you're going to have a debate later this week, uh, which is ultimately going to see uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis go head to head. And then we have voting uh, next Monday. Uh, people should also be paying attention to the weather uh, because right now it's it's expected mm-hmm. that weather in most parts of Iowa is going to be in the negative teens. Um, that's going to yeah. impact the number of people that come out for caucuses. So it's not a it's not a, a, a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump wins. Um, you know he's expe- he thinks he's going to win by a large number. If he doesn't win by a big number, uh, people are going to be talking about his vulnerability. Uh, so a lot can happen still in 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 seven days. Well, you just made a great point. Aside from the weather, and we are bundling up for this, I'm actually a little bit scared. And that's a real deal. It's not just about those of us who are there uh, from warmer climes that will be shivering in Des Moines. That could actually be a turnout story, and you can speak to that. But the way you just framed it is basically a question of by how much will Donald Trump uh, win? In other words, a, a potential moral victory for someone who could come in second place in a strong showing. Is Nikki Haley that candidate? I, I think Nikki is absolutely that candidate. She's the only person that has been having momentum since the the very beginning of, of this race. Uh, actually, when you look at head-to-head comparisons in a general election between her and Joe Biden, she's winning by double digits. Uh, most people only focusing on the fact that Donald Trump may be up on, on Joe Biden by three or four points. 
Uh, Nikki Haley has mm-hmm. consistently been up by double digits. So if Republicans want to see a, a absolute victory um, in November, Nikki Haley is the best choice. And, and that helps up and down the ballot. And when we look at, you know, the debates that are going on in Congress, uh, you want to make sure there's really big coattails to keep the House um, in in Republicans' hands. Right now, we're basically at a two. Uh, Republicans only have a two-seat majority. That's, yeah. That can potentially flip um, in November. Um, Senate looks good for Republicans taking over. So if you want to see uh, conservative leadership in Washington, D.C. and getting things done, I think Nikki has, has the best chance, and that's the case she's been making um, throughout these early states. I'm going to throw this at you before I, I change the topic to what's happening here in Washington uh, and would love your take on that as we spend time with Will Hurd. The Emerson poll out of South Carolina out Friday uh, shows a, a, a tough go for Nikki Haley in her home state. 25% to Donald Trump's 54%. There's been a lot of talk about uh, some of the confusion surrounding her answer on uh, what caused the Civil War recently. Is that going to be a deficit for her in South Carolina? And how, how important will that state be for her potential to move forward? She's she's made it very clear that the Civil War, the, the reason for the Civil War was slavery. She she has talked about her mistake and not having that be the first thing that came, came out of her mouth. Um, I think many of her opponents are using that um, in order to try to create drama and to, to, to stop that momentum that she's been seeing. Um, but I think you're going to start seeing momentum continue to build in Iowa and New Hampshire as she goes into her home state uh, that she knows in, in incredibly well. And so, um, you know, this is, as you said at the top of this conversation, it's exciting that we're soon going to get to have to not worrying about what polls are saying and seeing what voters yeah. are actually saying. Because I, I, will, I will say this, if you look at some of the polling versus votes of significant votes over the last, let's call it nine months, um, the abortion ballot uh, initiative in, in Iowa, the gubernatorial race in Kentucky, uh, the, the polling did not reflect um, what actually happened at the, at the ballot box. And so this is going to come down to who has the best organized campaign and what when voters were finally thinking about, oh, what do we want? Do we want, you know, four more years of chaos or or do we want someone who's thoughtful, who understands foreign policy? Do we want an accountant in the White House um, so that we start actually getting our financial house in order? Well, I'll tell you, the the story here in Washington today uh, is not so much about the presidential campaign, who the next president will be. Uh, but whether we're going to have a government shutdown in a couple of weeks, and I know that there's now a, an agreement on top-line spending, it's the same agreement we had in the debt ceiling deal. Yeah. So I have to admit, I don't, I don't know if there's even much reason to talk about it because it doesn't feel like progress. Uh, Jim Lankford, though, says there is progress on the border, Will Heard, Last time you were here, uh, there was a hope that this might be done by the end of the year. It, of course, would help to unlock funding for Ukraine, but would bring a, a, a long-sought compromise on border security and on immigration reform, on asylum law. Are you as optimistic now as you were a couple of weeks ago here? Because we're hearing from negotiators, including Langford, that there could be text by the end of this week. Look, Lang- Langford is is a serious guy. He's a thoughtful guy. He's not someone, he, he's not going to say that if they're not close to some kind of deal. Um, but we have to look at all mm-hmm. this stuff together. If and, and I agree with you. The, the top line numbers is an agreement to agree to the last numbers. And that's going to require that's going to require the House to then you got to actually write the bill that matches that number. 
And and let's be frank, the conservatives in the House that are criticizing this again have never voted to fund the government. So the fact that there's going to be something that appeases them is just ridiculous. It's you know, can um, Speaker Johnson keep half of the get half the Republicans to vote for it, and are Democrats willing to, to participate? But you got to be able to have a government open in order to get this side deal um, to deal with supplemental funding between Ukraine and and the border. The border mm-hmm. is is continuing to be a crisis. I'm always going to be hopeful that something gets done because the communities uh, uh, along the border have been suffering for for five years. You know, we we think about you know most people only think oh you know when New York and Chicago and L A started complaining that's when it really became yeah, a crisis. Right. No, it's been a crisis. It's been a crisis since the the last year of, of Donald Trump's um, presidency. He's the one that began this problem, and then it just became considerably worse under under President Biden. Last month, I think it was three hundred twenty thousand people. Uh, were apprehended. Mm-hmm. That's the all-time high in the history of our government. So this is a this is a real. Yeah, we're crisis. seeing some staggering figures. Uh, that's for sure. And I wonder if you think uh, it's a good time then to impeach uh, the Homeland Security Secretary. The first hearing will take place in the House on Wednesday. Alejandro Mayorkas, of course, is uh, is seated at the negotiating table. We're told at least helping to represent the administration. Is this the moment to pull the plug on the secretary? Look, if if I was President Biden, and 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 let me be frank, I'm not I'm not one to generally give him advice to that's good for him. Um, you know, if, <laughs> if I'm Joe Biden, I would fire Secretary Mayorkas. When you look at some of his bad polling numbers, especially in a general election against general election voters, a significant uh, amount of 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 the drag on on Joe Biden is his is his bungling of the of the border crisis and so this is you know there's the the, there's a lot of democrats that are frustrated with secretary mayorkas and just look at the record this is the worst the border crisis has been in our country's history we've had over five million people come into our country illegally under secretary mayorkas of the data shows he's done a terrible job and i am of the 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 opinion that this is they have not been actually implementing legislation uh, appropriately you do you know mm-hmm. we've made it very clear what asylum is supposed to be uh, they're having an incredibly generous um, definition of asylum which is allowing these millions of people to come into the country and to me that alone is a violation of secretary mayorkas's duties well, it's looking like he may well lose his job. Uh, Will Hurd, while you're with us, I have to get your insights quickly on the Secretary of Defense. And mm-hmm. I ask you this as a former CIA officer. I'm guessing this is not a major kitchen table story right now, but he kind of went missing, having gone uh, into uh, Walter Reed for an elective surgery before Christmas. He was readmitted on New Year's Day, experiencing severe pain, and he is still there now. Apparently, there was a breakdown in communication, Congressman. By that, I mean no one knew he was there. They had to call the deputy secretary on the beach on vacation in Puerto Rico. Uh, This is something clearly that could have been planned in advance. How important is this breach of protocol? Well, I think it comes to a lack of trust. And if you can't handle something this significant properly, how are you going to handle uh, something that's moving fast? You know, the the fact that the deputy secretary 
had most of the authorities at that time for because of some other yeah. agreement. But the fact that that Secretary Austin had not notified the president and his his the folks within the department, it, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And that now we're days later, we still don't have the full story. Um, this is a problem. I think everybody wishes him and hopes that he's healthy and safe and has a speedy recovery. But this is not how you handle um, the the fact that our, our one of the most important people in our government um, has to go into the hospital. Will Hurd, it's good to see you. Former congressman, former Republican presidential candidate back with us on Bloomberg Radio. Come back and see us again soon. In fact, we'd love to talk once the voting does begin. I'd love to hear from the panel on this quickly. The matter of the Secretary of Defense. We're going to have a lot of time for the border and shutdown politics coming up. But let's bring in Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. It's great to see you guys. Happy New Year. I missed you both. Rick, there are some folks who, at least on the Republican side, uh, think the defense secretary should be fired. Should there be accountability here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, somebody needs to be fired. I mean, there's obviously a chain of command that exists. And there we go. And I think, and I think that if uh, if if you know the secretary was you know incommunicado because of his health, it falls on others within the department to make sure that they're maintaining this level of transparency that's due. Uh, a senior uh, member of the cabinet like this. I mean, honestly, it's just outrageous. Mm. So yeah, I think a head should roll. A head should roll, Jeannie. The administration is speaking. John Kirby earlier today said Lloyd Austin stays in the job. Their concern right now is his health. Should we wait to learn more before we judge what happened? Yeah, I I think we should all be concerned about his health that we all can be. But the reality is, is that this is about national security. And can you imagine the CEO of any company disappearing for a week? You know, there are (laughs) 27,000 or more people who work at the Pentagon. And their argument is that the woman who was supposed to inform the president was out sick. Something is amiss here. It is a problem that he is in line for the presidency. He has the nuclear codes. The president needs to lead and he needs to deal with this. Um, Absolutely. The optics, the concern about his hospitalization is what's going on. We should all be concerned. But this is about national security while we're in an active war zone across the the world. And so I do think the White House is going to have to address this. I mean, I, at least I called somebody when I was out for a week, Jeannie. <laughs> we'll have a lot more with our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, as we pick their brains on a potential deal on the border and whether we're going to shut down. By the way, a week away from Iowa, a week from today, and Rick and Jeannie will be with us. We'll have more straight ahead on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Big screaming headline over the weekend. Reporters called into bureaus to write the story of the grand deal that was put together here in Washington, D.C., the House and Senate leaders, Speaker Johnson, Senator Chuck Schumer, and an agreement at last on top-line spending levels, something that we've apparently been waiting for, even though they're the same levels we got back in June. I'm having a little bit of trouble with this one. As we remember the movie Gaslight from 1944 was once Angel Street on stage. Remember this, the husband trying to Drive his wife insane, things start to go missing, gas lights dim without being touched. And as I read here on the terminal, $1.59 trillion, the new top line negotiated here in Washington, D.C., a cap on discretionary spending. Interesting. That's the same exact number that was in the debt ceiling deal back in June, the one that helped to get Kevin McCarthy fired. Yet here we are again talking about this as if it's news. It includes rescissions, and this is what the speaker says is new, of unused COVID funding and cuts to the IRS. They add up to about $16 billion, which is barely a rounding error. And so conservatives in the Freedom Caucus are not happy. And it's very difficult to tell whether we just improved our chances or not. This is happening at the same time as negotiating over the border takes place in Washington as we reassemble the panel for their take. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Jeannie, am I going crazy here? $1.59 trillion, it's the same number. We could have missed all that drama. If we just go back to June, we'd have the same deal we have now, right? That's right. It's like deja vu all over again. And you mentioned gaslighting and I was thinking of another film. Um, But, you know, the reality is, is that, that this is pretty much all that Johnson could get. And his the real question is where you ended. Is he going to be able to keep his job in the aftermath? It really almost doesn't matter what Chip Roy and the conservatives say on this. They're going to push him to the right as much as possible. But the reality is, is he's going to need Democrats to get this passed. And, you know, one question to keep in mind is, are they going to push him enough so that he tries to include things involving abortion or LGBTQ rights, which will really mm-hmm. create an uproar and have him lose some needed Democrats? So that's what we're talking about here. Otherwise, this is pretty much what McCarthy negotiated and what eventually he reneged on and what got him fired. Wow. Freedom Caucus calls it a total failure. Rick, I could go through all of the individuals here from Chip Roy to Andy Biggs, but I think you get the point. Uh, Is the speaker gaslighting us? How do we call this a new deal? Yeah, it's a joke is what it is. I mean, he's his strategy has taken us full circle to exactly, as you said, right back to the very beginning. It sounds like a bad Sound of Music episode. And so, like, the bottom line is that uh, now they found a new problem. You know, the same guys, Gats, Biggs, Rosendale, all these guys who, you know, threw out uh, McCarthy as speaker over uh, the budget deal have now said, now the budget deal is less problematic than the fact that we need to have HR2 embedded in the budget deal, the the, the House's yep. big border security plan. So 
You can keep the number, but you got to have border security in there too. And I just think they keep moving the goalposts. It doesn't help the speaker. I doubt if he's going to lose his job over this. But uh, as Jeannie Mm -hmm. said, there's not going to get anything done unless they have Democratic votes. And if they have Democratic votes, none of these people's voices matter. So not only has nothing changed since before the holidays, <laughs> but not since last June, just a different guy holding the gavel here. Uh, the border, you mentioned, Rick, may well be in, intertwined here. In fact, they're talking about potentially moving all of this as one piece if a border deal can be reached in the Senate. Now, I realize the speaker's talking about negotiating directly with the White House now because a Senate deal may not fly in the House. This is the latest, though, from James Lankford, the senator, the Republican senator at the negotiating table. He was on Fox News Sunday. Text hopefully this week to be able to get that out. Everybody will have time to be able to read it and go through it. No one's going to be jammed in this process, uh, but it's a matter of trying to be able to get this out. But to make law, we've got to have a Democrat Senate, a Democrat White House and a Republican House to be able to go Mm -hmm. through this. So this agreement has to work. Everyone's counting on this actually working, but it's going to have to be agreement that a White House, uh, that it's a Democrat White House and a Democrat Senate can also line up with a Republican House. And we're working to thread that needle for things that actually work. All right, Jeannie, he says text could emerge by the end of this week. That would mean they're pretty darn close. It would also be a day or two after the first impeachment hearing for Alejandro Mayorkas. How's this all going to come together since he's involved in these negotiating sessions? Yeah, that's right. And you asked Representative Hurt the right question about is this really the time to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security? Not to mention, you know, I'm trying to just figure that when Johnson goes over to the White House to negotiate with the president, this will be just before or after they vote on Mayorkas. They decide to hold his son in contempt. And oh, by the way, they decide potentially on impeaching him because those are the kind of things that the conservatives are going to push Johnson to do to save his job. Um, You couple that with the calendar, the coming 24 election and the votes there and the fact that Donald Trump has been out on the stump making big hay out of the issue of immigration. So I go back to the reality that I cannot see a world in which Republicans allow Joe Biden and the Democrats to get a deal on immigration. As much as Lankford is negotiating in good faith, I don't see how they allow this to happen. And 24 is going to be looming over all of this. What do you think about that, Rick? Because we know the border is not playing well for Joe Biden now. And this new CBS News YouGov poll underscores that 68 percent disapprove of the president's handling of the border. Sixty three percent think he should be tougher on the border. That's the backdrop uh, for this conversation. Donald Trump and, well, I guess Mike Johnson both know that this would probably help Joe Biden if they got a deal. Yeah, I think that uh, the reality is Republicans have to at some point do something uh, proactive on the border. They can't just throw up poison pill legislation that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, Republican constituents, voters uh, care about this uh, in, and they, they both care about different things. I mean, we got to remember that that voters for for the Democrats, voters for Biden, they they want a more efficient process. They 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 want uh, the border more secure and, and, and Republicans want more border security and then a more efficient process. So they, they have a totally Mm -hmm. different point of view on what is success. Both are under some level of pressure to make progress. Uh, as, as, you know, Congressman, former Congressman Will Hurd said, you can't have a year where you have, you know, hundreds of thousands a month of hundreds of thousands of, 
uh, illegal migrants crossing the border and not take a hit if right. you're a Republican or a Democrat. Do you think we're going to shut down? I'll ask you both, Rick. Are we, and we're looking at two different dates. I'll remind everybody. One is late this month. The second is early February. There are only, what, eight legislative days to figure this out. How's this going to happen? You know, look, you've got a half a dozen approach bills. You ought to be able to get those done on the House side in the first uh, yeah. series of, of administration um, uh, budget deals. And, and and on suspension, you could pass that with a with Democrats and Republicans together. No brainer. Now, as long as there are no poison pills in those bills. So right now, if the Republicans yep. uh, want to sabotage the system, they put poison pills in there and have to force the Democrats in the Senate to rewrite everything. That is important, uh, Jeannie. The speaker uh, could still go there if he wanted to. Do you think we're heading for a shutdown? I hope not. I don't think so. It's not in anybody's interest to shut down. Rick just mentioned the poison pills are the big thing to watch, especially on abortion Mm -hmm. and LGBTQ rights. That would be devastating to the bill. And by the way, the calendar is tough, as you mentioned, eight days to that first deadline. That's tough in normal circumstances. But how about it? A little New Year's optimism from Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, both agreeing there will be no shutdown. And of course, we're going to be thinking about this conversation when we walk up to those dates, realizing it'll be kind of a partial shutdown and then a whole shutdown in February. And all this is going to coincide with what's happening in Iowa. Can you imagine after Donald Trump spends this week in courtrooms across the country, actual voting, actual caucusing will take place next Monday. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hour 2 of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined by Kaylee Lines. It's good to see you, Kaylee. Um, it, it sounds weird, although Will Hurd told me it was not too late to be saying Happy New Year. So I'm going to say Happy New Year to you because I haven't okay. really, well, I haven't seen you first That's of all. fair. Happy New Year, Joe. But I am struggling with that a little bit. You, you know, you go to the gas pump, you're at the store. Do you do the hat or you, are we beyond that? I think that you now? have one week. So we're beyond that. And I think okay. we're beyond. I won't. But I appreciate the well wishes well, sure. for my, won't, for my year. It's going to be again. a doozy, Joe. You and I both know it. Yeah, we're about to go through <laughs> a lot. And, you know, it really, we start spinning the plates now. Um, Senate's getting back to town today, House yep. tomorrow. Uh, people called... <laughs> into work over the weekend because there's a deal on top line spending levels. And I find this really funny. I did a whole thing last hour on gaslighting Mm. and the movie Gaslight in 1944 that feels like as the gaslights were dimming without anyone touching them. And this poor woman was driven crazy by her husband who was moving things in the night. (laughs) That's what's going on here. Now, I'm glad we have Jack Fitzpatrick because maybe he can pull me in off the ledge. But they agreed to $1.59 trillion, I believe. Correct. Which is exactly the same thing they agreed on last June when Kevin McCarthy was speaker. Right. Same fiscal year. Same. $773 billion non-defense discretionary spending. Then remember the side deal? Well, there's that too, yes. They codified the side deal. So it's exactly the same plan that we had last June. But Mike Johnson would tell you they got $16 billion in savings from Those are the pulling recisions, forward right? that IRS funding cut of $10 uh-huh. billion dollars and, the and then rescinding money. the $6 billion in COVID relief money. Yes. I don't think that's a real big difference. <laughs> that's a rounding error is what that is. Well, but that's why we have Jack to help us exactly. out. Exactly. Um, who held forth, I understand, like a hero and a captain <laughs> in the chair last week. Great to see you, Jack. Dare I say Happy New Year. Yeah, um, we're in it. 
Is it just me, or are we playing games with the same numbers here? It is a re-agreement more than anything else. I like that. Okay. They, I mean, you that said rounding than error before, and they, they've been arguing for months over things you could probably call a rounding error. The <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, side deal is exercise. a little shy of $70 billion in extra spending. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the government is going to spend. Uh, it's hard to even keep track what what we're going into four, five, six trillion. This is all uh, the the discretionary numbers. Is it one point five nine trillion versus one point six five trillion? They've been arguing and and risking shutdowns and right. slinging mud over a relatively small pot of money in the grand scheme of things. But that is what the argument has been since June or so. Yeah. And now they have re-agreed to basically <laughs> the same numbers, more or less, as they struck in late May, early June. Okay, so <laughs> maybe we're calling this a, a win, even though I'm not really sure it, it should be a win. But the idea yeah, is this true. helps take a step at least toward averting a shutdown. The thing is, top line figures are one thing, then you have to divvy that up, turn that into legislative text and get that past both chambers before actually January 19th and funding runs out. So how much of the hard work is still ahead when it was this hard to agree to the deal that was already agreed to in the first place? (laughs) This was probably the hardest question for them to answer and they answered it and that's good, but there are still very hard questions to answer. It's probably debatable really whether this was the hardest. They are still going to have fights over um, policy riders. Mm -hmm. How much do you want to get into the tough policy measures, not just dollars and how much you're going to spend, but uh, you know, the big ones over the past year have been abortion access, being legislated through some of these spending bills. Um, The FBI, there are conservatives who are hesitant to fund the FBI without policy riders. There's resentment over the FBI uh, vis-a-vis Donald Trump's legal troubles. Uh, There is not an agreement now on how they are going to broadly approach policy riders. So any policy measure they could fight over, they can still fight over it. Also, as you mentioned, they agreed to a defense and non-defense number. They didn't divvy that up into the 12 appropriations bills. How do they divide that up for an allocation for each of those bills, which has an effect on what kind of programs get more money and less money? Mm. That's something that they still have to do. And it's not a lot of time until January 19th. So there are still plenty of hurdles for them. Oh, man. But possibly you're not covering a shutdown this time. It's very good news. Yesterday's yeah. news was a, a okay. big, broad well, step Well, this is encouraging to me then, Kaylee. I'm a naysayer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm accusing people of gaslighting. Jack, who does this for a living, is encouraged. Okay. We'll take Jack's word for it. Absolutely. Um, great to see you. Jack Fitzpatrick, don't be a stranger. I know you won't be. I'm wondering what Mick has to think uh, and has to say about all of this, because we have eight legislative days. Yep. I haven't even brought up the border yet, by the way. <laughs> Eight legislative days. Remembering, though, we have two dates. So we do a little shutdown for a couple of days after the first one and get it done potentially by February 2nd. Mick Mulvaney, of course, co-founder of the Freedom Caucus and former acting chief of staff of the White House, former budget director. Um, I'm just going to say Happy New Year because I started all of this and I'm just coming back today, Mick. It's great to see you. Uh, Does this sound like a shutdown that can be averted? Sure. (laughs) Does it sound like shutdown has been averted? No. Um, no. I, I'm not really <laughs> sure. I was sitting here. I was in uh, Louisiana yesterday for the uh, swearing in of uh, Jeff Landry, a Republican governor, who's also a Tea Party member class of 2010, so sort of old home week. But a, f- a couple of those folks are still in Congress, mm-hmm. and they were all scratching their head as to where Mike Johnson got the $1.66 trillion deal. Keep in mind, Mike Johnson was also there. 
um, yesterday uh, <laughs> because he's from Louisiana as well. So I'm not sure. I'm looking at uh, Chip Roy's page here today, and he says, look, it all depends on the policy deals we get as part of this spending deal. I can't imagine what policy deals they're going to get. It seems to me if you're going to avoid a shutdown, it's going to follow the same exact model that it has for the last decade, which is all the Democrats will vote for it. A couple of Republicans will vote for it. The Republicans will start an internal bloodbath over it. So if that's um, if that's what you if that's what okay. uh, avoiding shutdown means, I think that's what you've got. Okay, so you are envisioning an internal <laughs> bloodbath here, Mick. Uh, not exactly a pretty picture you're pain- painting, but for Mike Johnson specifically, knowing the fate of his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, who passed a deal with Democratic support and lost the gavel as a result, do you really think he's staring down that same threat? Can House conservatives stomach another speaker fight? Um, you know, if they were rational, the answer to that question would be no. But I don't think Matt Gates is a rational actor in all of this. Um, I'm not sure how, um, if they really made the case that they got rid of McCarthy because of policy shortcomings, that he was incapable of cutting a good deal with Democrats or the White House, and that it wasn't about something personal between Matt and, and McCarthy. Um, you know, Matt always said it was about policy. If it really was about policy, it strikes me that the same policy that got McCarthy fired just got agreed to again. So I'm not really yes. sure what the argument is not to do anything uh, different than what they did to Kevin. Well, that's, that's interesting. The, the Freedom Caucus calls it a total fail, uh, suggesting that, and it's clear that Mike Johnson, Mick, will need Democrats to pass this. So now we really have created the same exact scenario in which uh, Kevin McCarthy got fired. But that was before we went through Steve Scalise and Tom Emmer and Jim Jordan. I don't mean to ask the same question that Kaylee just asked, but who else is there? Uh, there isn't anybody. Um, but of course, that's not again, that's that's a rational question to ask uh, about this. If you're simply trying to stop this from happening which a couple of folks probably would be interested in doing, then trying to get rid of the speaker throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Um, The question the conservatives are going to be asking is, how is this different? Mike Johnson has got to be able to go to them with something and say, look, here's, here's why you should keep me. I've just cut a deal that does X, Y, and Z, and that is better than the deal you would have gotten under Kevin McCarthy, uh, and that's why I should stay. I don't know what that deal is yet because the number is bigger. I mean, the number is actually bigger than they agreed to. I think it was 159, and now it's 166. Of course, that side deal I thought was supposed to be just a handshake and a secret. It wasn't anything that the House voted on. Um, so technically, I guess you could make the case that Mike Johnson is spending more, not the same. Um, if you want to say that the side agreement technically was an agreement because the, the, the McCarthy and, uh, and Schumer don't have the ability to, to cut those types of deals. So it's really ugly. Um, I hear what everybody's saying. It sounds like it's certainly a move in the right direction towards avoiding a shutdown. I'm not sure it's uh, I'm not sure it's anywhere near the end of the discussion. Well, and Mick, doesn't it all hinge on the border anyway, when you have members of the Republican conference saying H.R. 2 or bust, uh, no security, no funding, shut down the border or yeah. shut down the government? It seems that everything is about the border here. It could be. Now, you could also make the argument, I think you could make it plausibly, that the, the well, they always want to talk about the border. They sort of, and I'm talking about the Republicans now, they sort of have at least tacitly, if nothing else, given into this concept of mirroring the border discussions up with funding for Ukraine, Israel, to a lesser extent, Taiwan, right? That, that, that 
those four pieces seem to be stuck together. Yes, they would love to have a second bite at the apple. I just don't know how they do it. And of course, if you if you say, well, we have to have HR2 in order to pass anything out of the House, then nothing will pass out of the House because the Senate will never pass HR2. Uh, so I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I think that maybe, maybe the spending deal will be isolated from at least the discussion about HR2, because that has sort of been married now to Ukraine and Israel. To what extent is Donald Trump helping to direct the conversation here, Mick? Last time we spoke, it was shortly after uh, we learned that Mike Johnson was in regular contact with him. We heard him talk about the border quite a bit over the weekend in Iowa do we at this point really think that he's going to endorse any deal that might make Joe Biden or any Democrat look good? No. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons you hear him. Uh, I, don't, I haven't seen anything out of him today about the spending deal. I think he's waiting to see how it's received. Mm. Um, and when it's received badly by conservatives, he's going to attack it. He might also wait to see what Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are saying about it. But my guess is they'll attack it as well. Um, so, no, I, I don't think Trump is interested. And, and look, that's that's not unusual in politics, right? There's a couple House members over the weekend who said they weren't interested in doing a border deal now because it would give Biden the victory too close to the uh, to the election. That that's not unusual. I dealt with the same thing with Democrats when I was in the White House in 2019 and early 2020. They didn't want to give Trump any wins, um, you know, that close to election. So that's 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 certainly politics as usual. But no, I don't think Donald Trump mm -hmm. is interested in brokering a deal here. Um, you know, when he was running for office the first time. He was, you know, against all the spending deals when he was in office. He was for all the spending deals. When he was out of office, he was against the spending deals again. So I think you continue to see that trend. <laughs> well, Mick, you just mentioned there Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, keeping in mind that you're speaking with us exactly one week out yeah. from the Iowa caucuses. Do either of them stand a real chance? Mm. Yeah, if there was, if, if I was looking for an upset, Kaylee, it would be in DeSantis. Uh, I don't think any of them, I don't think Nikki or Ron has a chance to beat Trump. But if if I, if you look to folks who overperform versus underperform, keep in mind, Donald Trump underperformed badly in 2016. I think it was 12 points or something like that. And Ted Cruz overperformed mm -hmm. um, by about the same amount, in large part because Cruz understood how caucuses were different than primaries. And Trump, at that time, a first-time candidate, really didn't. Now, Trump is working really, really hard to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again in 2024. But that being said, a lot of Cruz's team has signed on with DeSantis. So if there's a chance for anybody to overperform next Monday, I'll be looking for Ron uh, to overperform. If he doesn't and he finishes third, then I think he's out of the race. Um, I, I think you have to finish second in, in Iowa to move on to uh, to Super Tuesday. It looks like he's not going to finish second in New Hampshire. Hell, he may, excuse me, he may finish fourth in uh, in New Hampshire or fifth. Hmm. Um, so, but I will watch to see if DeSantis over overperforms. I don't think he's got a chance to beat Trump, but he may do better than the polling is uh, is showing. Well, just in our last minute here, Mick, I wonder your thoughts on your home state, South Carolina. Emerson has Trump at fifty four, Haley at twenty five. If she can't outperform a number like that in her home state, is it over? Oh, Joe, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that question. Anybody else wants to talk about Iowa and New Hampshire? Um, <laughs> and uh, every now and then folks realize that South Carolina comes next. And the dirty little secret down here is that, yeah, Trump is going to crush her. Uh, she's done really, really well the last couple of months. And I, I, I do think she's got a chance to, to pull within maybe single digits in New Hampshire. Uh, she's done had a nice effort there. But South Carolina is home state. South Carolina is wow, Trump country, 100% Trump is winning this state. I guess I shouldn't be surprised to hear that, but it's always news when we hear it from Mick Mulvaney. It's good to see you, Mick. Thank you for the insights. As always, 
Mick Mulvaney on Sound On. We do this conversation each Monday, myself and Kaylee with Mick, and we'll do it again when we head to Iowa. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.